to you. So I'm just going to dive into the Word this morning, and I want to address some things uh, about communication. And so we're going to take a look at the story of Isaac and Rebekah and how communication is such a powerful tool God gives us. God speaks. How many are glad that God speaks? You know, we homeschooled for a number of years, and we used a very conservative Bible program. And I remember one year thought, you know what? Let's just give it a try. Let's see what they're teaching our children. So we opened up our books, and they started out in the book of Samuel. And, and the teacher's teaching the kids about, look, God spoke to Samuel. And I'm like, yes, yes. And then she goes, but he doesn't do that anymore. Click. <laughs> okay, we're not learning that because you'll just have to unlearn all that stuff. God still speaks. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. And it's discerning. Now, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I'm thinking, maybe, was that God or was that me? How many have ever questioned that before? Discerning, what is the Lord? Because I want to be obedient to his voice. And I love what God's word is. God's word, listen to this, is a sure word of prophecy. I'm going to say that again to you Methodists here who didn't get excited. <clears throat> It's a sure word of prophecy. Sure word. So exciting that we have God's word. The word is Jesus. When you're spending time in the word, you're spending it with the son of God. Who's lived in flesh and bone, knows your suffering, loves you, knows you more than anyone else knows you, but loves you more than anyone else does. That's a miracle right there in itself. You spend time with him every day when you're listening in the word, and he's speaking to you. The rhema word of God is when the, when the word just jumps out, and you're, you're like, yes, that's for me. And the Hebrew word for hearing is shema, to hear and obey. Isn't it interesting? They don't have a word for just hearing. It's always about hearing and obeying. Simplifies things, right? If you heard it, obey it. But discerning what the voice of God is. And can you? And I tell you, I am a charismatic pastor. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love charisma. You know, fruity, flaky, and nutty makes great cereal, but not Christian or Christians or churches. So there can be some crazy stuff that happens People who think they're hearing God and they're not hearing God. But can I tell you, it's okay to make mistakes too. It's okay to take some risks. You know why we don't have prophecy? Many churches are now nonprofit organizations because somebody made a mistake. Can I tell you that in my ministry experience, where there's no oxen, the stall is clean? And there's no such thing as a poopless cow. So just get a bigger shovel. Because there are times when it is a little messy and there's not clarity, but we're trying to hear the voice of God. And we can't just rely on God's word to hear him speak. Can I tell you that much? We have to learn how to hear God in the way he is speaking. Does he speak through the word of God? Yes, he does. Will he tell you to do something that's outside of the word of God? No, he won't. 
but don't at, don't say, well, I didn't see that. I didn't. I've never seen uh, ain't a gold dust in the Bible. That does, it, but it never forbids gold dust either. So people who are seeing gems show up, angels and crazy stuff. If it's not forbidden in the Bible, just chill out a little bit. Are you with me this morning? So I want to talk about Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac was the son, the miraculous son of Abraham. Uh, in Hebrew, his name is Yitzhak. Everybody say Yitzhak. <laughs> and his name means laughter. Come on, let's just laugh at that for a second. <laughs> and Isaac is the, it's the first time in, in the Bible that love is mentioned is when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son whom he loves. First time love is mentioned in the Bible. When it talks about a, a father's love for his son. Jewish rabbis say that's the Al-Qadah, the most important part of the Bible. It's the pinnacle of the Bible when Abraham sacrifices his son. It's a love between a father and a son. Not just any son, but a, a unique son. It's the same word we find in John 3.16. For our God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You understand, like, Isaac is such a key figure in the Bible. He's a picture of Jesus. And after his mother died, Sarah, Abraham went and got him a wife. And he sent them out. And, and we know the story. We should know the story. Isaac and Rebekah gets a wife. They get married. But Rebekah is not bearing children. She's not having children. So I want to start today when we look into Genesis 25, 21, it said, so Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. How many know husbands should be praying for your, their wives? Okay, you wives got sharp elbows out there. Just, just get them out there. <clears throat> Listen to the pastor. Because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. How many know God answers a husband's prayers for his wife? And so we see that now Rebecca is conceived and, but this is where the conflict begins. Here we have Isaac is seeking the Lord. God shows him what to pray. He prays. And then we see Rebecca becomes, she becomes pregnant. And then in Genesis 20, uh, 25, 22, it says, And Rebecca, his wife, conceived, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I must say that last part again. The older shall serve the younger. So Rebecca gets this prophetic word as she's holding on to her belly saying, what's going on, Lord? What's happening inside of me? And he reveals to her that, they, that she has two nations in her womb. But something odd is also spoken about is that, that she, the older will serve the younger. And if you understand anything about Jewish tradition or cultural tradition, the firstborn was always the one that would be blessed and be the strongest. And the secondborn would be subservient. So I have four boys, and if... When I passed away in Jewish culture, what I would do is I would divide the pie in five slices 
and I would give my firstborn two slices. That's called the double portion. Everybody say double portion. And the other sons would get one portion. That was the blessing. That was the culture. So God spoke to Rebekah and told her to do something that went against cultural norms, religious, religious preferences. Uh, the father was, this is where the conflict began because Isaac, throughout his life, fought the prophetic word that God gave to his wife. He resisted it. And there's reasons why he resisted it. And I want to kind of guide you through this because I believe Isaac and Rebecca could have been an amazing family. But what happened is because they failed to discern what the voice of the Lord was and they failed to communicate one to another. They failed to communicate in a healthy way to work this out so that there was success. Can we go into their story this morning? Because I want to talk about there's 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 different styles of communication. And we want to ask ourselves, am I communicating in a healthy way or am I communicating out of hurt? Because what happens when we're communicating out of hurt, we hurt people. How many have heard that said before? Hurt people. Hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Transformed people. <laughs> oh, you guys are bright. We got the bright group here today. It's right. I want to be transformed. But if I'm carrying hurt, how can I communicate? How can I truly communicate in the right way to my family when there are some sensitive issues that are at hand? So the first thing I want you to fill in today is spiritual communication. God speaks to us. Hallelujah. Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Discerning the voice of the Lord is a lifetime job. Learning to hear the distinctions of his voice. If you call your Lord, I want to I hear from you. I want to speak to you. I always like to say, you know, people are very cautious about hearing the voice of the Lord. And I say, well, I believe if you put yourself before the Lord and say, speak to me, it'd be like you dialing my phone number. 99% of the time, it's going to be me on the phone, the other end. There are times where you're going to say, this isn't Chris, right? Somebody else stole my phone. Okay. Anyway, trusting that God has more power to keep you in truth than the devil does to deceive you. So many Christians get so scared about, I think that was the voice of the Lord. And there's things that we can do to determine whether or not that the, the voice of the Lord is, that is the voice of the Lord. And number one, it's communicating to others. I, I sense this is what the Lord is saying to me. And can I tell you, as a charismatic pastor, I'm gonna, I want to teach you this morning, please avoid saying God told me. That's not a healthy thing to say. Now, it's okay to say I sense the Lord told me because that shows you that it's possible that it's not the Lord. I think you become, when you become so convinced that you heard, heard the word of the Lord, you know that you know, that's when it can be a challenge. It's okay to hold on to the prophetic things God has given you with confidence and with faith, but with the ability to be steered and talked to. When people come to me and say, God told me, what am I supposed to say? No, he didn't. Or tell you something different? Not a good plan. Is this helping you today? 
Now, I'm not judging. If you've ever said, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's just culture. But there's a way it works best because if I say I sense this is what the Lord is saying to you, then it gives you the ability to test it. And if your prophetic words, you're not willing to have your prophetic words tested, then you're not a true prophet. Test it. Does it work? Yeah. Was it true? Yeah. Praise God. Did I blow it? Did I not hear God? It's okay. Because my identity is not in my prophetic word. My identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for me 2,000 years ago. Use it, Lord. Because then we're not stressed out. We're not all, it's not about my identity. It's like, hey, I sense this what the Lord said. What do you think? Is that the Lord? Yeah, I think that's the Lord. Praise God. What do you think? No, I don't think it is the word of the Lord. Good. That's fine. It's all right. So when we communicate, I want to talk today as how we receive communication and how we communicate to others. They say that communication, and there's a little graph up there, is 55% nonverbal. All right, just think about that. 55% nonverbal. So that means that no one's even listening to what your words, 77% of what you say is, is received based on what you said versus the idea of how you said it, your vocal tone, your attitude. And how many know I want to be a good communicator? I want, I want to learn how to receive communication from the Lord and from others and not be triggered or hurt, and I want to be able to communicate to others with assertiveness and with confidence and helping create a healthy environment for communication. Somebody say amen. All right. You guys with me this morning? All right. Jonathan Welton, he said this, although for many people the primary goal in relationships is to protect themselves from being hurt, as powerful people, one of our primary goals must be protecting the connection we form with others. So my priority when I'm relating with people is not to protect myself from being hurt. Don't ever say anything bad about me. Don't ever say anything corrected about me. No, that's not, that's not healthy. We want to be able to protect the relationship to the best that we can. Bible says make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. But that doesn't mean we can be at peace with everybody, but we made the effort. So spiritual communication. So let's go on to the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 25, it says this. It says, and when the days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was hairy, a hairy cloak. So they called Esau. So they called him Esau. And Esau, you could call him Harry. That's really what his name is. That's how they named their children back then. It's like suddenly, spontaneously, wow, he's got a lot of hair, Harry. No baby name books, no nothing. No praying about it, just however he came out. Verse 26, and afterward his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Come on, guys, can't we do a little better? You know, good thing his finger wasn't up his nose. Hmm, nose picker. Come on. I mean, it doesn't sound very smart, right? Well, thanks, Mom and Dad. Sheesh. Okay. So Isaac was 60 years old when, when she bore him. And so the, so the children are born. It's, the wife had a prophetic word while they were in the womb that 
that the, that the older would serve the younger, which means that even though Esau came first, that he was actually going to be subservient to Jacob. Following me so far? And there's, there's a lot of things that begin to happen here. And what happens is, is when, when we're hurt people and we're not connecting with others, it becomes, we get to this place where we attempt to connect to things instead of the people. How many know that it's what we teach all the time in our drug recovery programs? The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. What is it? Connection. The opposite of, is, of addiction is connection. So what we say is the reason this program is working is because you're getting connected with one another. But when you fail to have those connections and you isolate yourself, it is easy for us to get to step into this place of addiction. I'm going to read this quote from Jonathan Welton. It's called The Eyes of Honor. He said this, many attempt to fill their relationship void with things rather than people. This counterfeit intimacy is called addiction. An emotional bond with an object or a substance which they can control rather than a person whom they can't control. It's deep. It's a really good book. He did have a fall in ministry, but he's coming back, okay? Just say he had a he had a whole Bible academy and stuff. He had a fall in ministry. We know all about it. But how many know we are called to control things, not people? If this is revelation for you, you better write that down. Okay. How many know your pastor doesn't control you? I don't control my wife. She doesn't control me. We control things like my car. How many glad that your pastor controls his car? Yeah, amen. Controls his checkbook. I can control myself. That's called, gosh, you guys are brilliant, right? I can control myself. I can't control Bob. I can't control others. That's freeing for me. I can't change you. God can change you. God can give you the tools that I give you, but I'm not smart enough to change you. We need professional help here at Gateway. That's why we get in such great speakers. Because God knows you need professional help. So we're, you understand, so if we think we're controlling people, we're backwards. And we know God's not controlling us. He's empowering us. He's empowering us, not controlling us. So when we look at things, and when we talk about addictions, I'm not just talking about drug addiction here, but can I go into your backyard and maybe push over some sacred cows you got in your own backyard today? Is that all right? All right. Not me. Work addiction. We get caught up in, in doing things so we don't have to deal with people. Guilty of that sometimes. Oh, this one's going to hurt. Social media addiction. Everybody say amen or ouch, whatever you want to do. I think I have a list up here, don't I? Children, grandchildren addiction. Nothing wrong with that, to have connection with your children. And, I mean, that's beautiful. It's honorable. But we can't put them ahead of God and God's will. Yeah, come on. You, you can't have any idols. If your children aren't serving God or telling you to do something ungodly or if you don't do this, we're not doing this, well, we have to follow God. We have one master. Keeps things simple, doesn't it? When people disagree with me, I just say, well, I have one master, and it's okay if I'm wrong, but I'm just trying to follow the Lord. 
Oh, and then the last one, our addiction to being right. Oh, how many know being right is overrated? It's really overrated. It's like, I'm willing to be, you know, I love what in 1 Corinthians, it says in chapter 6, it says, why don't you just be wrong? I mean, that's what he says. You guys are fighting over this. Just be wrong. Some people can't be wrong. I'm like, really? Like, you think you're going to enter in the heaven's gates and Jesus and the Father will be on the throne and be like, man, you are so right in life. Good job. Come on, how many have been caught up in the addiction of being right? A broken clock is right. Be, it's twice right twice a day, right? I'm right, I'm right. So is a broken clock twice a day, big deal. Stepping on your toes a little bit today. You guys all right here so far? Somebody gave me the mic. Anyway, you do have a legitimate addiction. It's called a Jesus addiction. It's legitimate but um, when my identity is grounded in something I can do or accomplish, I will most likely resort to one of these four unhealthy communication patterns. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get in your, into your mind and your heart today. Is that okay? It's okay. It's happening. Here we go. We're going to talk about the four unhealthy styles of communication. And you're going to see these in the story of Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob. Number one, it's aggressive. We have aggressive communication styles. We call that the bully. We have, too, the passive. These people are usually the stuffers. They're just kind of yeah, whatever, 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 whatever. The passive aggressives are the time bombs. Um, basically, they, they, they just keep, you know, allowing things to go. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then, <laughs> explosion. Not a good plan. And number four is the seductive. Those who, and I'll explain these a little better. An aggressive, because what we talk about is, is relationships are all about value. If I'm doing things instead of valuing a relationship in my life, if I'm caught up in addiction, I'm not valuing the people around me. And in these aggressive or communication styles, unhealthy communication styles, an aggressive person basically says, I'm, I matter, you don't. Where's the value? The value says it's about me not about you. Not a good plan because it's not communicating value. A passive person says, oh, you matter, I don't. Sorry, sorry. How many know sometimes it's, it's more dangerous to be passive than to be aggressive? There's more problems that happen because we don't make any decision because of fear. Passive-aggressive says, you matter, not they basically appear to you smiling, but they're scheming. I'm going to get you back later. That's the passive aggressive. And then we have the seductive, which is a person that's a, basically a con artist. They make me feel like you matter. You think you matter. And they will flatter you and say all the right things, but their actions will show something different. All right, we got the four. We make it sense. So let's look at these four in our in our uh, story of Rebecca and Isaac. So we see these children are born. Esau, nose picker, are born, and I'm sorry, heel grabber. And um, let's look into the story. So Isaac, who's the father, it says in Genesis 25:28, he loved Esau and his wife Rebecca. 
Uh, he, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we have favoritism going on in the family, preferences, right? How many, been, how many of your families put the fun in dysfunction, right? I mean, it's, it's true. And it's okay. Like, you get sometimes some of your children or family members you get along better with. That's okay. But there is an unhealthy favoritism that really can destroy a family. And we see this is exactly what happened. How many glad the Bible is very down to earth and tells it like it is? Doesn't make things seem all like angels were singing around. No, they, they dealt with stuff. So Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Esau was a hunter, a man's man. The father was like, hmm, yeah, I like that. You know, Rambo here, like, this is fun. This is good. Love what you're doing. Jacob was more of a, a cook and, you know, just spent time in the tent. So the mother is attracted more to him. But then they allow this to get into the will of God for their family. What was the will of God for the family? That the older would serve the younger. Jacob would be the firstborn to be blessed. Esau would not receive that blessing. You understand? Like, this is what the Lord said. But it came, I think, issue number one, it didn't come to Isaac. It came to his wife. Well, if God wanted to do that, can, can you think of the scenario? Well, God would have spoken to me because I'm the man. I'm Isaac. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's me in the middle. Who are you? You know, you're nobody. What, how would God speak to you? Yeah, uh, right? And then, of course, Rebecca, maybe she tells somebody and says, hey, you know, this is, what, this is what's happening. God told me about Jacob being, being the greater one in, this, in, the, in the family, receiving the blessing. And what happens? And the family gets around there like, that's not the way we do things, right? Our, we, it's always the firstborn that receives the blessing. That's a violation of our religious pre Like, I can show you in the Bible where the firstborn is called to be blessed, right? Yeah, I'm just giving different scenarios. So we can see that there was reason why there was conflict. And, of course, then to top it all off, Isaac just really liked Esau. He liked him because he was a man's man. He, he maybe was, he was more like they were more connected in a way. James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? How many know that when the decisions are to be made, especially for our family and where God's directing us and leading us, we have one master. We have to put aside cultural pre preferences Personal preferences, God may show up. You want Mexican, he goes with Chinese. You got to be okay with that. But my favorite is Mexican. And last week, your favorite was Mexican, Lord, but he wants Chinese today. Just be good with it. Flow with it. Oh, the culture doesn't accept that. And God does what he wants to do. Can I tell you that there are times when God will tell you to zig or zag. Go this way or that way, and everyone else is going that way. Sometimes God's in the zig or the zag. Not always, but sometimes he is. have to hear the voice of the Lord. And we have to be able to communicate to one another in a healthy way so that we see breakthrough for the will of God in our family. Because I can tell you that Isaac and Rebecca and their family did not end up a happy family. Let me tell you, some of the enemies of good decision-making, number one, impulsiveness. We don't wait. 
we realize, oh, I want that, or I want to do that, or I'm good at that. How many know just because you could doesn't mean you should? And just because you feel good while you're doing it doesn't mean that you should do it. That's the way a little toddler is. In his brain, when he takes out his crayons and he's drawing on your dining room wall, he's having a blast. Oh, oh, this is awesome. This is beautiful. You know what he's thinking in his little mind? Everyone else feels the same way I do when I'm making a mess on this dining room wall. Because in his little mind, he doesn't understand. I feel good. You feel good. That's not true. Impulsiveness, passivity, unwillingness to make a decision. This is the killer. Perfectionism. I'm going to say that again. Perfectionism. If it can't be done perfect, I ain't doing it. Well, it's not going to get done then. Sometimes God doesn't allow you to do things perfectly. He allows you to do it the way he needs to get it done. People-pleasing. Bad counsel is another one. If you have a big decision to make, don't ask a two-year-old. Or don't ask, some, don't ask someone that acts like a two-year-old. Number, um, number six, ignorance of your own blind spots. Everyone, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you have blind spots. You need other people to help you see. That's, that's, that's healthy. Plans fail for the lack of counsel. Have humility. Ask the right people. And number seven is cowardice. Maybe you're a coward. My pastor said, maybe I'm a coward this morning. Maybe I'm a coward. Cowards. We have to sometimes ask ourselves, am I a coward? Is that why I'm not doing it? Because I'm just plain out a coward. Can I talk to you straight today? It's a good question to ask yourself, especially in the face of persecution and things that are very difficult in this season. The Lord told me, show me in Revelations, the first description is people in hell are cowards. I said, I'm not going there. So people say, how are you so bold? Because I'm not a coward. Good question. Come on, declare that this morning. I am not a coward. <laughs> Jonathan uh, Welton says, among powerless people, the goal of communication is to convince others to control them by forcing agreement. Can I tell you that, especially in marriage, it doesn't matter if, you're, you don't have to be in agreement. You will not be in agreement on everything. If you think you are, you're deceived. And the other people, is, this person is deceiving you. It's okay to have disagreements in your marriage. It's okay to have disagreements in your family. That's, that's normal. If you're striving to get everyone in agreement, it's impossible. If everybody's thinking the same, somebody's not thinking. Love is not agreement. Love is a willing be willing to disagree on certain issues. That's beautiful. He says this, as powerful people, we understand that we cannot control others, but only ourselves. So let's look at the makeup of the family here. Are we, got, are we doing all right this morning? All right. Going a little deep. Then I'm going to let Bob take over here in a second. The aggressive one in this story is Esau. He is an aggressive person. He is a, uh, he's kind of a bully. The passive person in this story is Isaac, the father. Now, you would think that the father would be the, the one that's in charge, but how many think that Esau was probably pressing for the blessing? He wanted the blessing, didn't he? If his father liked him and he could get away with it, he's like, come on, Dad, bless me, bless me. And he's, he's, he's aggressive. He probably, and notice that relationships in families 
you will have sometimes the passive person in the family to connect to the aggressive person because they kind of balance each other out. And what happens here is you can see some of the dynamics a little better. Then you have Jacob, who's, who's passive-aggressive. He smiles at a face. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And then his mom, Rebecca, she's the seductive one. She's the one that creates this scheme that allows her to get what the Lord said would happen, but she does it in an unhealthy way that destroys her family. So let's read the story. Genesis 27.1 says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. Isaac said, Now then go, hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food. Bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. So notice we have Isaac and Esau. What are they planning on doing? They're going to make sure that Esau is going to, the younger is going to serve the older, not the older serving the younger. They're going ahead and doing it, even though the word of the Lord came to his wife and said something different. It's important to recognize that. So let's take a look at, I have a picture up here, if I can just show. Uh, I did this. This is great artwork here. I did this all by myself. So we have Isaac and we have Esau. Can you see the family connections there? The father, the son. Then you have Rebecca and Jacob. And go ahead and put up the next slide. I think there's some arrows. These are, <laughs> if you ever go to counseling, we've been counseling a number of times, and one of the things they encourage you to do is, is to map out all your relationships, everybody in your family. And I could have done this, but there are some relationships that are very strong. They're thick, and, and people, some people really connect well. There's other relationships that are, that are weak or completely cut off or non-existent. How many have relationships like that? And you have to look at them and say, okay, notice that the passive and the aggressive one connect together. But then these two connect together because they're scheming and conniving behind the scenes to get what they want instead of, in a healthy way, communicating to Isaac and dealing with the issue. Isaac, we've got, like, Rebecca should have came to her husband and said, honey, we have to deal with this issue. This is what I sense the Lord spoke to me. And we have to talk this through, pray it through fast, get some counsel, get some, get some input. Because it's destroying our family. We have two different, you know, there's two, two heads in this family. And two heads belongs in a circus, I think. So we see what happened. They're deciding they're going to make what they want to have happen, happen. Rebecca comes and she seduces Jacob, convinces him to do something that is wrong. So here's the story, Genesis 27, 5 and 6. Now, Rebecca was listening when Jacob spoke to his son Esau. Hmm. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. And she tells Jacob, verse 9, go to the flock, bring me two young goats so that I prepare them for, um, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Mm, she's got a scheme here, a plan here. Notice the, the passive-aggressive will just deceive him to thinking he's doing something that he's not doing. And can you imagine the, the hurt that happens in this family 
and the broken relationships that are happening because nobody stops to say, what's healthy here? What's right? If this is from the Lord, we need to follow the Lord. And there's too much hurt in this family. You know, and sometimes in families, put that back up, the picture. Sometimes in families, unhealthy alliances form, right? This was an unhealthy, there's one with the arrows connected here. Um, there's unhealthy alliance. These two had an unhealthy alliance. You guys see that? These two had an unhealthy alliance. And these alliances were unhealthy relationships to destroy the purposes of God in this family and to cause hurt and harm over decades. Thank God it eventually got resolved, but it, I believe it could have been resolved if people would have stopped, communicated, recognized in their own lives where they're operating out of hurt, smallness, disappointment, instead of operating out of the voice of God. So you guys remember the story? What's Rebecca do? She dresses Jacob up in Esau's clothes and sends him in to Isaac. And Isaac, his eyes are dim. He can't see and smells Esau and gives Jacob the blessing. Jacob said to his father, comes in before him. And we see this in 2715. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Jacob goes before his father and he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. So Jacob's lying to his own father to deceive his father. How many know when we're lied to, it brings shame on our lives? We feel shame. We feel shame. When somebody tells us a bold-faced liar, we discover that we're lying. It breaks something very important to us. It's called trust. And that's very difficult to, be, to have it restored. But in the, in the process, we see Jacob gets the blessing, deceives his father. And Genesis 27:30 says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And you can imagine Esau. He's been out working, trying to make this thing happen. He comes in, has all the food ready, puts it before his father. And Isaac's like, who are you? What do you mean? You want to what? I just gave my blessing away. Like, well, who got the blessing? Esau's like, he'll grab her. He got it. He deceived us. He tricked us. Now, what's happening in the dynamics? Put up the picture of the family again. The last, I think it's the last picture we have. Can you see now their connections are, are darkened? They're weak. Why? Because no one dealt with communication in an assertive way. We talked about spiritual communication, unhealthy communication. I want to just close with this, is that we need to have assertive communication. Everybody say assertive. Assertive is communicating to I matter and you matter. And there can be harsh things that are said, difficult things that are spoken about, but if you truly care about somebody and you offer yourself to say, if there's anything in me that you see that needs to be changed, please speak it out. If that's something, an issue that needs to be dealt with, let's talk it out. Because we see now Esau hates his brother, and they're, they're separated for almost 20 years. They never talk to each other again. 
how many nightless sleeps do these people have? Now, Rebekah and Isaac, they, Jacob's away from them, their son's away from them. And Esau, the Bible says, is nursing a grudge. He's comforting himself with the idea that I will kill him. That's not a good plan. Hopefully you don't have family members right now comforting themselves, the thought, with your death. Why did this happen? Because people didn't communicate, right? Just failed to communicate. Allowed unhealthy alliances to happen. Didn't value one another. Families break apart. It's not a good plan. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We are called to speak truth and love, and we need to allow ourselves. The best thing we could do right now with this message is to evaluate ourselves. It's called self-awareness. It's a gift. <laughs> and if you need help, ask somebody else that you love. Who am I in this relationship? Well, I'm, maybe I'm aggressive. Well, you need more tact sometimes. You need, to, you need to take a deep breath before you speak. Maybe you're too passive. Maybe you lack decisiveness. Maybe you just allow things to happen, and it's, it's hurting other people because you're not, it's your place to make a decision, and you don't. Maybe that's, maybe that's where I'm at today. Passive-aggressive, maybe you give too much, and then you blow up, and you're like, why did I do that? Because I couldn't say no. So I'm going to learn how to say no more. And you don't have to be perfect. You can make mistakes. It's good. And then with seductive people, they just lack reality sometimes. They're in dreamland. They're trying to pull you into a dream. And sometimes allow people to speak reality into your situation. As Christians, we often think that we need to be nice. You know, you'll never find in the Bible Paul telling you, be nice. Never. He can be kind and courteous, but he also says the same thing. Be corrective. Speak truth. And so don't, don't allow yourself to think you need to walk around and everyone needs to love you and think you're nice. That's unbiblical. You need to empower righteousness and righteous people and people who are doing the right things. You need to empower them. But for the people that are doing wickedness and evil and promoting ungodliness, you need to oppose them. And they will say, you're not nice. You're darn right I'm not nice. What you're pushing here is wicked. It's evil. It's wrong. I will not be passive in that circumstance. So remember that we have a job to do, and don't pull out just one or two verses in the Bible and think that's always the way you need to act. Judge not or you'll be judged. No, there are times when the Bible says be spiritually discerning about issues. There's times when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there's other times where Jesus called people out, called them a nest of rattlesnakes. He spoke truth. You understand, we, we want to take one script. Oh, the nice scriptures I'm going to embrace, and that's how I'm going to be. And everyone will like me. Don't do that. I'm going to leave you with this. This blew, blew my mind. Come on up here, Bob. And then Paul's, and Bob's going to, and your team, and whoever you want to have minister. 1 Corinthians 16. This is at the very end of 1 Corinthians. And Paul writes this. He says, I write this. Now, you remember, Paul, 
Paul did not write the Bible. He had a scribe that was writing it for him. So he has some there, and he says, write this greet I write this greeting in my own hand. So he's signing the letter with his own hand, and he says two things. The first thing he says, I'm going to read it backwards. These are what nice ones. He says, may love be with you all in Christ Jesus. How many know that feels good? That sounds nice, right? That's beautiful. And then verse 23 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds like something a Christian say. But what's he say before that? If anyone who has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. No, that's in the Bible. Like, read that. And I think sometimes we're afraid to speak truth, matter-of-fact reality, because we want to just say the nice things in the Bible, but we've closed our eyes to some of the things that must be spoken. the manager of Gateway Hunger Relief Center, and uh, I've been about here about 14 years. This has been a blessing to me and my family to be able to serve. We need your support, and the reason why we need your support is because our numbers are growing, for one thing. The need is great here in Richmond. We're able to provide fresh produce and sometimes milk and just meats and everything like that, and your donations really mean a lot to keep this program going. Uh, we also serve the seniors, and we also make kiddo bags so every child gets a bag to take home that's got mac and cheese and drink and little snacks in there for them. And we just love being able to pass these things out and bless families. And if you love seeing, your, seeing families get blessed in Richmond, come donate to Gateway Hunger Relief Center. Shelby Jones. Hi, my name is J.D. Marker. Hi, my name is Jenny. I just love blessing the people and seeing all the smiling faces and smiling kids. I come, love coming here. It gives me something to do every day. I like to give the people God in their hearts and I like to spread the word of God around to everybody. It's been a blessing. I've been here for 14 years and I hope to do it for another 14. I don't know what I can do without them really. I'd be home doing nothing. I just love being here and helping people. I like to give out food and help people. God bless everybody.
find that countless times in the Bible, God himself actually changes someone's name. We find that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. We find Jacob struggling with an angel and saying, what is your name? The Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons, places. And what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the scriptures. And this project has taken me five years to complete and it's called the Name Translation Bible. As a pastor, I want you to go deeper into the Word of God. And I'm giving you a tool that will save you time, save you effort, and allow you to get the greatest revelation, the deepest revelation possible as you study God's Word. We look forward to you going deeper into the Word of God through the Name Translation Bible. God bless. I think in the body of Christ is people do not separate these two powers. We, we have been taught that uh, Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, in Aramaic, if you look into the Aramaic, when you say you're one with someone, and Jesus spoke in Aramaic, I believe most of the uh, New Testament was written in the Aramaic language, it's, it's not a statement as a mathematical statement. It's actually a statement as saying that we're together, that the way I think is the way this person thinks. So to, to take the idea that the word one means is that they're, they're no longer separate individuals is, is a very, uh, not a good interpretation. Um, the first time that you'll find the word echad is mentioned in the Bible. Echad is the, the uh, famous word in Deuteronomy 6.4, where uh, the famous, the Shema, they would say, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, or Yahweh is God, Yahweh is one. And uh, for us to interpret that as God saying, hey, listen, I'm all by myself, there's no one else, is not, I believe, an accurate interpretation. It, I believe it, it, has the, it carries the idea of I'm a covenantal God, I'm a God that wants to bring you in to relationship, I'm a God of relationship. And we'll find that the first mention of this word echad is found in the book of Genesis when it refers to that the man and woman shall become one. They shall become echad. Now, when I talk about seeing two separate individuals, uh, I've been married for 32 years and Debbie and I, uh, we became echad. We became one in covenant. But it's not okay that you call me Debbie now that we're one, okay? Or you don't go around and call my wife Chris. No, we're one, just like God is one. Jesus and God are one. Um, but we need to make sure we keep their individuality.
And uh, one of the books I really wanted to get into your hands this year was this book. And this is a, the largest book I've ever done. It's uh, got 95 chapters and they're small chapters because as I was writing it, I decided, you know what? There's so many deep truths here that I do not want to overwhelm my readers with too much information. And this book is, uh, I want to read to you from chapter 10 today. And the title of this chapter is Behold a Son. And what this book, the premise of this book is that the Jews in the time of Jesus were expecting this figure called the Son of Man. Now, most people believe that Jesus, when he claimed to be the Son of Man, that he was actually claiming his earthly title. But when you discover in the book of Daniel, there was one like the Son of Man that came alongside of the Ancient of Days. And this was this idea is called the two power in heaven belief. Um, and it was first started about in uh, 1970, Alan Siegel, uh, a famous scholar, Jewish scholar, he began, he wrote a book called The Two Powers of Heaven. And he discussed how the early Jews understood that there was another power coming from heaven. And they understood that this was, this was not a, just a man, this was the son of God. He was everything his father was. The eternal son of God was coming to the planet. And this mysterious figure was revealed when Jesus arrived on the planet. And I want to just talk about chapter 10 because uh, when we look at the first son of Jacob, his name was Reuben. And Reuben is not just a great sandwich you can get in a restaurant. Reuben actually means, behold, a son, or I see a son. And I love that it's, it's the first son of Jacob. And I believe this is the first revelation we have to have when we're reading the Old Testament that we discover that God had a son. Behold the son. And this is what this book refers to, is the appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, if you've uh, purchased the, the name translation, what I've done in the name translation that I think is very unique is uh, we have the words of Jesus in red, which most, a lot of Bibles have that. Okay, great. But I also put the words of Yahweh, the father of Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament in blue. So whenever God speaks, whenever the father speaks, you see his words in blue. Now the fascinating thing and what so many readers of the, uh, the, the name translation version, when you get it in the electronic version, you'll see the color. In the Old Testament, when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, I put his words in purple to recognize that this is, this is that the mysterious figure of the Old Testament that's being revealed in the New Testament. And what I love to say, it's, it's, it's like a movie. If you watch a movie and during the movie, a, a very important figure shows up, but the figure's character is never completely played out or there's no resolve to the character. But when the movie's done and you think, well, what about that character in the movie? What happened to him? Where is he? What that tells you in the movie is that there is going to be a sequel. And I like to say that about the Old Testament, is that when there are some figures that are, are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, take for instance, Melchizedek, which his name Melech means righteousness, or king, Melech means king, and um, Sadak means righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness, is revealed in a, just a few verses in Genesis, and then once again in Psalm 110, 
Who is this mysterious figure? Well, many scholars like myself, I believe that this is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ revealing himself in the Old Testament to get us ready when he shows up, when Jesus lands on the planet and the New Testament begins to say, and this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the other power of heaven.